0: The letter of James, if you're not familiar with where that is, you can go to the back of your Bible and work your way from back to front, and it's close to the end. It's at the end of Hebrews is James. If you don't have a Bible, we invite you to take one of the black Bibles that are in one of the chairs underneath of you, and we'd love for you to keep it. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take it and keep it. You can find that on, the thick one is on page two ten. 1,010 or 1,011, and I think the other one is on page 950. We have, as of last Sunday, began a series on the letter of James. We'll take this through the summer and into the, into the fall as we study this beautiful, important, and practical letter for our lives. Oh God, please help me. Please speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Imagine this. It's about 8045, just 12 to 15 years after Jesus died, rose, and ascended into heaven. The church, in- mostly of Jews, but also Gentiles, people were believing this Messiah was the real Messiah. Son of God, he rose from the dead. They were giving their lives to him. Their hearts were changed. The Holy Spirit had come upon them. There were miracles. The church is growing. They're gathering in homes. They're gathering together in synagogues. They're worshiping. They're taking the Lord's Supper. They're praying. They're sacrificially giving to each other. And then persecution breaks out. The church in Jerusalem is scattered all throughout the land leaving behind some of the Christians, including Pastor James, the author of this letter. James is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, has some believers there, but many of them are scattered abroad. They being exiled to different locations because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Because of that, life has not been easy for them. Their lives... May have been okay in Jerusalem, but now they're filled with poverty. Their homes were confiscated. Their belongings were left to their tormentors. They follow the king. And because of that, they're hated by their own people, the Jews. Now, Pastor James in Jerusalem is thinking, I need to write them. I want to encourage them. Oh, God, help me to encourage them with words. What should I say to this fledgling, persecuted But growing believers all over the land, what should I write to them? Yes, you see, these, he's going to write the very first words of the New Testament. You see, James was written before any of the Gospels. It was written around AD 45, the very first inspired words of the New Testament. What would they be? As the Holy Spirit influences James to put on paper and pass out to the churches where they would be spread. What are these words to a refugee church, Christians spread abroad? The very first inspired words of the New Testament, the the last words had been inspired, had been written down in Hebrew hundreds of years ago. What are these words? James writes to the church, and James writes, in a sense, to us and says, count it all joy, my brothers. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. These are the opening words, instructions about trials, the purposes of God, the call to hang in there and hold on and consider it joy. The very first words of the New Testament. And this morning... I want us to see James' opening instructions, this opening paragraph. This is so good. You need this. I need this. Our hearts need this, this, this truth to be internalized to the depths of our soul and to know the God that commands and calls us to this. These are the instructions from our Lord Jesus Christ to us. In America, today, in 2021, all who call on the name of the Lord, he says, count it all joy, my brothers. He's saying, my family really could be my brothers and sisters, all who have Jesus as their Savior and God as their Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want to give us instructions here from these three verses. And I've labeled it this way, or I will call it spiritual travel plans from James to Christians, from God to us, in which I see God's destination he has for us and his vehicle to get to that destination and directives during these traveling called this life. So I want you to see number one, God's destination, God's destination. God has a perfect plan and that's spiritual maturity. There are trials, testings, and a need to hang in there and be steadfast. And he says here at the end of verse 4, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James wants the believers, and God wants you, Jesus wants you to know that God has a destination for us, and it's really good. It's that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, verse 4 says. But you see, friends, not everyone who grows old grows up. You know that? Age is not the same thing as maturity. There are far too many people who proclaim Jesus as their Savior and say they're Christians and they believe God and they stay little babies spiritually. They don't grow in maturity. And this verse says, there is a destination that God has you on. Every one of you who are Christians. And that is, this destination is that God wants, he's got a great plan to make you complete and spiritually mature. James desires for this church and, he, and God desires for us to grow deep, rich, mature, as whole Christians, growing, this word perfect is not sinless, it means complete and immature, lacking in anything spiritual that God has has for us. You see, God rescued you, not to leave you where you are. God didn't rescue you and save you if he has saved you, And then just take you out of this world and bring you to heaven. He says, I have a life now. Whatever whatever it is, 20 years, 50 years, 70 years, whatever it might be. And during that life, I have a plan to grow you. So you are down here and you're going to grow spiritually through time. That you might be a different person than you could ever imagine. God's plan is to make you, every one of you. No, you're not excluded. No, it's not just for pastors or deacons and their wives, and it's not just for a few of the senior saints that you say are the spiritual heroes in your life. God means for you to grow in maturity. That's why Paul would write to the Colossians and say, I, I constantly, I live my life proclaiming this message of Jesus and teaching and warning and exhorting and instructing for the purpose that they may, I might present someday, I might present everyone mature in Christ. My calling as a pastor, and I don't know how this is going to work, but I think there might be a way in which in heaven someday at the judgment, I'll stand b- beside you and go, mature in Christ, that's, that's what I want. That's, what Paul, that's the imagery Paul says, that I might stand, present to everyone. Here, here, Jesus, these are your sheep. You saved them. They're like you because they listened to your voice. You, they listened to your word. They grew in the word, and they listened to what you would have, and they're becoming, they became like Jesus more and more throughout their life. James is writing this opening letter and says, you need to listen up. Don't stay babies spiritually. Don't stay at a stagnant or non-growing state. But instead, God intends for you to grow, to lack nothing spiritually. Instead, become complete and mature. And that is His mission for you, His calling for you. You know, God intends to make us like Jesus Christ. You say, what? he make us like Christ to change our character, to make us selfless and to love God and have a real relationship with him and change the way our words are and to change our convictions and our attitudes, to change the different a- actions of our lives little by little from the inside out. That is God's intention. He, ch- he plans to do this. So often we might think, well... Yeah, I wanted a little bit of this, God, but do I want all of it? Yes, you do. God wants, God wants, and you truly, if you are His children, will want this. This is a maturity that all of us need. I I have five children, I'm a parent, and part of my job in raising my kids is to have a mind towards their growing maturity. I can't do everything for them, and I better not do everything for them as they get older because they need to learn to mature. They need to think for themselves. They need to think rightly. They need to know the consequences and face them. And so God wants to grow us in maturity. And I want to tell you this, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. If anything, I pray you'll come away from this sermon and say, Oh, God, grow me. Help me to grow in maturity." maturity because I wrote down there's three reasons at least why you'd want this. One is joy. Joy in enjoying God. As you grow to grow in maturity and grow, become like Jesus Christ, grow in this completeness, more of sin will be removed in your life. You'll have more faith in a big and glorious God. You'll grow in a relationship with Him. That's one. Secondly, you'll have proof that you're real. As you grow in maturity... When the doubts of am I really a Christian? When when I die, am I really going to be saved? When I face the judgment, will I really face, will it be okay to face the judgment before God and actually not receive his wrath and instead his reward? Well, as we grow in maturity, we grow in proof that we're real. We don't earn our salvation, but tr- maturity is a mark that we're really his children. And we grow in confidence in him and joy in him and assurance in him. And we want to grow in maturity because, well, it results in fruit. The more you live and are becoming mature and growing in God, oh, the, the joy of the fact that God gets to use you and me to help other people, the people that I love and the people that I struggle with loving. God's going to use me to point others to Jesus And I get to glorify and show off and love my God. You want maturity. The life that is in Jesus, that we are going to face and you face from now until you die, is not about mere temporary happiness. It's not about a carefree life. It's not about your comfort, your temporary comfort. Oh, he loves you way too much to leave you on the road of immaturity. And shallow faith. So, maturity. Maturity for me and you. It's time for you and I to grow up. It's time for us to hear God's call and grow up. And if you're here and you say, what do you... I'm not even, I don't know the first thing of what you're talking about. For some of you, it might be that he's going to first make you alive. And what that means is he's going to make you part of his family. You're not a Christian yet. Yeah, you believe the Christian things and truths. But you see, the person that starts to grow up and grows into maturity first has life put in them when they first believe and call on the name of the Lord and they repent of their sins. And oh, I want you to hear this. There is a great and glorious God who sent his only son, Jesus, to deal with our sin and our mess. We so ran into our rebellion and ran our own way, but sinners and rebels just like you and me, like everyone. And if you will turn away from yourself and believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, you will be saved. You will be made his child. That faith is... Something that then grows and lives and matures. And that's what we need. So, God's got you on a destination. God is not content to leave you as a little baby Christian. It's, you, you can't just say, that's for someone else. It's for you, young person, young teenager. It's for you, young par- parent. It's for you, senior citizen, who has not grown... Even though you've aged, you've not grown spiritually, God has growth for you now. That's His destination, it's spiritual maturity. But secondly, I want you to see that God's vehicle, God's vehicle, God has a distinct means, and that is trials. See, this passage says, Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, all of this is so that you'll grow mature, but the means of growing mature is the vehicle of trials. Trials, you know trials, they're suffering, testing, pain afflictions, difficulties, adversities, hardships, what do you want to call it? Use, use one of those words. It is the deprivation of any kind of comfort or control that you, that is placed in your life by God calling you to suffer. All of us face trials. They come in, you could just categorize them in two forms. Trials come as difficult people and difficult circumstances. Do you have any of those in your life? What about difficult people? Do you have them? People who are pain to you, who are horrible. People you need to forgive, and people that you need to comfort, and people you need to pick up, and people to support because they're stumbling, people to bear with. People you have to confront and people you need to love and endure. I wonder who the people in your life are. Those people are God designed for your maturity. Oh, he's got plans for them as well, but you have them in your life, those difficult people, those trials for your maturity. They might be your parents, teenagers, That are difficult people. We can be difficult people, parents. They might be your children. Some of you kids are difficult children. (laughs) I'm glad there was no amens. (laughs) And there can be difficult parents and difficult co workers and bosses and students and friends and neighbors and church members and pastors. And leaders, Do you realize that God brings those trials in your life? And here he says, to bring you a destination, to make you mature. They're custom made for your maturity and spiritual growth to become like Jesus. And he gives us difficult circumstances. Um, Jim, when he prayed the pastoral prayer, he prayed for some of them. They might be health. Chronic pain, conditions that just do not go away, a diagnosis that leaves you in suspense. These difficult circumstances are ongoing, unchanging sickness or financial difficulties, debt and poverty or loss of job. They could be the loss of loved ones, loneliness and disappointments, all that are God-given trials custom-made for your growth. For God to so lovingly change you. To not leave you immature. To bring you to a place that you will someday say, Bless the Lord. You are in those. Here in this passage, James says, Count it all joy when you face trials, when you face trials or meet trials of various kinds. We learn a lot about trials just from just digging at these verses. First, we see that trials are inevitable. Look at the verse he says, when you face. it," doesn't say if you face it, when you face it. If you haven't faced trials, if you say that, you're lying, or you just haven't grown long enough. You will face trials. Trials also are unwelcome and often sudden. That word here he says, when you meet trials is actually the same word that Jesus used in Luke chapter 10 when he said in the parable of the Good Samaritan, and the Good Samaritan fell upon robbers. It meant they were unwelcome, and he just fell into them, and they robbed him. Well, trials can do that into our lives. They just, they're unwelcome, and they're sudden. You wake up one day, you're going to work, and your life is turned upside down by that phone call. Trials are many colored. He says they're various kinds. You have trials that are emotional. Hard to even explain to someone, but they're a hard trial. They're spiritual. You you just there's physical, bodily, they're relational, That, that painful situation with that person, or the loss of a loved one that you're just aching over. They're related to your age. We, there's young people trials, there are parenting trials, there are senior citizen trials and elderly trials that each face. they're all distinct, you have them in different seasons of your life, various trials of all kinds, and they all sometimes come at one after another. Have You ever felt that way where you're just overwhelmed and you say, it's not just one thing, it's this money thing and then this relationship thing and then, and then my sister and this situation all of these together and they just they're various trials this passage also insinuates that they're prolonged trials because he's going to say hold on because they're going to produce steadfastness that word steadfastness he says they produce steadfastness is holding onness waiting it's like holding a Because, you know, if you hold it for five seconds every day and then ten seconds the next day, you're going to build strength, but you don't let go. You don't drop it after one second because you won't grow from it. The trials that we face are prolonged. They're not like a quick vaccination prick. The trials are like a long surgery where you stay awake and have no anesthetics. Trials are productive, he says. He says. They produce steadfastness. They produce steadfastness. They produce that word, steadfastness, endurance, the, the holding on, perseverance, where before you were weak and you, you couldn't take anything. Now, now you're strong, you can hold on. If you're a runner, you learn that by going, I couldn't run even a half a mile, and now I can run 10. Because I I learned endurance. I learned steadfastness and keeping going. What, What is it in your life? But he says trials do that. He also says trials test us. He says the testing of your faith in these trials. You see, the difficult people, the difficult circumstances that you're facing today or will face, what are they? God is intending To test your faith is the idea of revealing to see if your faith is actually real or how real it is, how strong or mature it is, and not only to test to see if it's real, but to strengthen and grow your faith. Romans 5 says, Paul writes, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that sufferings produce endurance. That's the same word as steadfastness. And endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. Unwelcome trials test to show what's real. Painful difficulties are designed by God to cause you and me to cause our hearts to trust in God more and to seek and depend on him. They Refine our faith and they test our faith. Trials are prickly friends sent by a loving God to say, how much do you trust me? Think about the last time you went through something really difficult. How did you respond? Was it grumbling? Was it anger? Was it terror and fear? You see, those trials, whatever, even just the littlest things, even... The traffic you face, or the weather, and how you respond to them. What you truly believe. What and who you are really trusting in. You're trusting in the securities of human things, and your own control of things. Or have you found God as your refuge, and your trust, and that everything that comes in your life, you put under His hand. I would... I can testify to this, friends. I'm only 45. For some of you, I'm a young whippersnapper, and some of you young, I am old and at at 45, so I can't win either way. So I'm middle-aged. So I, I have seen God work and grow me in maturity. I have a long way to grow in maturity, but I feel like more than anything, the seasons of my life that I've grown the most... Is when I've gone through a lot of trials. I'll give an example. The last couple years, only if only some of you know this, but I I, I've had some minor but mysterious pains, or awkwardness, or discomfort in my mouth or or my throat. I don't. They they worried me. Do I have cancer? Do I have something else? Is there something that's going to take me prematurely? And I'll, my my children won't have a father. My wife won't have a husband. And all of these things. And I'll, my life will end short. I, over the last few years, I've I've struggled over different discomforts, minor and nothing, and not serious. And I've grown to see God. You you brought those, and you brought those to like to reveal your faith, or should I say, sometimes your lack of faith, Daniel, because you let anxiety strangle you far too often. When you knew that I was in control all along and that I love you and I love your family and I love your church and I love all those things, but you still worried and you were stressed out about it all the time or far too often, it revealed sometimes the lack or weakness of my faith and it caused me to fall to my knees and say, God, forgive me. God, thank you for being merciful to me. Thank you for helping me. I wonder what it's in your life where you've had a trial that's revealed your lack of faith or your weakness of faith. I wonder what you did after that. But I would say that it also grew grew my faith because it caused me to pray more. It caused me to seek the Lord more. It caused me to realize, Daniel, don't put your faith in doctors or medicine. Don't put your faith in human things Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Where is your only comfort in life and death? It is in Christ Jesus, your Lord. It's a small thing. But for me, and even sometimes when I would explain it to some people, I just felt silly about it because it seems so small. There's really nothing going on probably right there. circumstance in my life to grow me a little bit more, including grow my humility. Because to be honest, I can be hypochondriatic sometime. And that. And I find myself, my fear can be on that. that. You know, that's, I'm not proud of that. Thankfully, blessed are those who grow in humility and realize I'm broken, I'm weak, but He's not. He is my God. And I'll tell you what, we won't learn these things unless we are put under pressure and we go through trial, we go through difficulty. He says the vehicle in which we grow into maturity, the instrument, the means, the scalpel, the medicine that God uses us to grow is what we label bad things, difficult things, relationships that go sour, things that don't fall into place like we would want them. But oh, when we learn to let them teach us. They'll teach us how to pray like we never prayed before. Oh, how we can just drift and think that life is fine without God when things are going smoothly. And God wakes us up. The smelling salts of trials wake us up to reality. Oh, we need God every moment of our lives. Oh, why would we live a second? Our trials teach us this word. Our trials teach us because this book... Is shows us the history of men and women, men and women struggling and learning to run to God for refuge and trust. And it wouldn't make any sense if we never go through trials. It'd be like, that's interesting. I wonder what trials are like. And then when we go through trials, it wakes us up and say, God, your word is real. Your promises are real. Is it true? Is it so good that I could actually believe it? For me, not just for David, not for Paul, not just for the greats in the Bible, but for me, yes. And trials teach us and remind us of the vanity of this world It's so short. What matters? You see, I, I know there's big afflictions coming in my life, just like in your life. They're all going to come. Sometimes they'll come in waves, sometimes they'll come when you're expecting, and sometimes they're not. This is the vehicle that God uses to grow us in our faith, to grow us to God. God tested Abraham, God tested Moses, 80 years in the wilderness, Joseph for 13 years, Job, read the book of Job, Jesus of the cross, Paul, the apostle, three times he pled with God and said, God, please remove what he called the thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians. He had some affliction that was terrible. God, remove it. And God said, no. No, but I'm going to teach you to depend on me and trust in me, and you're going to actually say when it's done, keep the trial. But give me your presence. Give me your grace. Give me your sufficiency. I'm strong. I'm weak. But you're strong, and so I am strong in my weakness by relying on you. COVID-19 the last what's 15 months have been a test for Christians and for the church revealing our hearts where we're putting our trust revealing our relationships. A lot of people have not done good in fa- face, facing these tests. Maybe it's you didn't handle it well. Maybe you're watching it you didn't handle it well. We have a great God of all grace. We have a God who does not say, you got to pass all of these tests perfectly or else. But passages like this are meant to remind us, oh, God has a good purpose and a good plan. Hang in there. Look to God for His grace. God has a place. He's taken us a destiny, and a destination, and that is maturity. And it's so good. And He has a vehicle to bring us to that place, and it is trials and suffering. The last thing I want you to see is God's directive. God gives us clear instructions in what we are to do in the midst of this journey to maturity through trials. He says, hold fast with rejoicing faith. Hold fast with rejoicing faith. In this passage, two through four, he gives really two instructions. Right away, he begins with, count it all joy. Literally, consider it pure joy. When you go through these trials, count what? It. What's it? The testings of your faith. The pains that lead to steadfasting, produ- steadfast producing trials that lead you to maturity. Count it, those things, joy. And then it, that's the first command. And the second is, let steadfastness have its full effect. The idea is don't let go in the midst of trial. Don't don't try to short circuit what God has. Let it have its full effect. James is telling us, hold on during your trial. Don't short, short circuit by giving up and running away. Don't curse God. Don't let anger overwhelm you or fear. Let it have its work. The weight of the trial is heavy upon you and it has to run away from God. They just, they run in a pity party. And he says, Count it all joy. Rejo- I, I think he means rejoice in faith in God while holding fast. Don't waste your suffering. Don't waste. COVID-19, don't waste the trial in your life. Don't waste your cancer. Don't waste your difficulty. That doesn't mean don't pray for deliverance. Yes, pray for it. Doesn't mean don't go to doctors. Go to doctors. It doesn't mean get help in your financial struggles by counsel. Yes, it means those things. But begin with going to God and acknowledging, God, you've designed these trials for my life. God, what do you have for me? Help me not to waste... What you have for me, help me to listen up and grow so I don't come through the season remaining the same. Friends, what trials are you going through today? Young Pearson, is it related to school or your friends? Is it related to even your, just your own temptations and sin? Is it related to your parents? Parents, is it to your Children? What about you? Is it to your grown parents or is it to your wandering children who are away from the home? Is it work circumstances? Is it just something, you're your worst enemy and you don't like yourself and it's just it's you're overwhelmed? What is it? James says count those trials as a reason to be happy and joyful and don't give up because you trust in God. Because your faith in Him will, is being tested and He loves you. This is not a sign of his abandonment of you. It's it's a mark of his care for you. And it could be the little things like how do you respond when traffic doesn't go your way, or the weather, your health, and of course, the difficult people and circumstances? Do you believe him? Do you trust in him that he's your refuge? We must all ask ourselves these kinds of questions. when my my throat is sore and I can't, it hurts and I wonder what's going on there, or when I doubt a relationship and I'm agonizing about it, or when I don't know how we're going to get through this financially, or what is your trial? We must ask, do I believe that God is in control? And do I believe that God has a good purpose? And do I trust God's way that it will be worth it in the end? Because God is over all. Faith is being tested in these trials. The testing of our faith. The answer is count it all joy through faith. Count it all joy. Hold on through faith. And what is faith but trusting in God in his character and his promises. So I want to end by just pointing you to four things of faith's accounting. Because he says count it. All joy. That's an accounting term. You know, make an account of God's, in God's ledger, count it all joy. And you can only do that, not because we say, I love trials. I love suffering. That could just be sick if you love suffering just in and of itself. But faith's accounting, meaning one that says, but I believe in a God who's overall, And Jesus loves me and he cares for me and he's working for my good. That's faith. I'm going to at least believe four things. This is faith's accounting. God's in control, number one. Rejoice, God's in control. God is in control of all circumstances of my life, so I will trust him. Friends, do you know that God is in control of all the circumstances in your life, every one of them? I love what John Newton wrote in a letter to a friend. Every drop of rain hits its appointed target. Every trial hits its appointed target. In everything give thanks. Oh, we need to learn the promises of God. That's why this book is absolutely necessary if we're going to count it all joy. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent word. When through the deep waters... God tells us, I call you to go. The rivers of sorrows, they'll not overflow. I'm in control. First thing is God's in control. Do you believe that? God wants to teach you to believe that God is in control of your life, all the details, your work situation, your parents, your trials, your children, everything. Secondly, God's got a purpose. Not only is he in control, he's he's working with a really good purpose. Take joy Christians in this trial that you're facing because God has a perfect perfect purpose in all that he does so wait for him I could go many places Romans 8:28 is one of the most beautiful promises for we know that for those who love God all things work together for good how many things all things Ever your good. The weather is for your good. The traffic this week is for your good. Your job is for your good. The hard people at work are for your good. The difficult sibling is for your good. Everything is for your good. And when I say you're good, what does that mean? Good. Define good, Pastor Daniel. God cares way past temporal joy, temporal happiness to say your good is to be made like Jesus so that you can enjoy God forever. My, your good is to conform you, to make you like Jesus. To, to conform you into the image of his son. Romans eight twenty nine, the very next verse. That's why John Newton wrote another letter and said, everything is necessary that God sends your way. And nothing can be necessary when he withholds it. God's, God's in control and he's got a purpose. God says... For I will be th- with thee, thy troubles to bless. Your troubles are, are going to be with you so that you'll be blessed in your troubles. And I will sanctify to thee the deepest distress. The third thing, not only is God in control, and not only does God have a purpose, but I need to remind myself faith's accounting is God's ways are. Be like Jesus through this suffering But I need to remind myself, God, your ways are best, how you're going to do it. Yes, I don't want you to take me with cancer, you might say. God, I don't want to die young. Or God, I don't want to face this trial or deal with this financial struggle one more time. I want a nice, healthy marriage. God, and you're not, right now, it doesn't seem to be happening. God's ways are best. Consider yourself really blessed because God's way is always best So that you can view your trials as necessary and right and good. God is too wise to need a mulligan. God is too good and wise and full of knowledge to ever get anything wrong. Paul will say, I despaired almost of life itself because I went through a trial in 2 Corinthians 1. He says, but this was to cause me to rely not on myself, but in the God who raises the dead. And I have now seen God's wise ways. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 119 would say, it was good for me to be afflicted that I might learn his statutes. Before I was... You see, the flame shall not hurt you, God says. He only designs... Because you see the dross that's on the metal, he's going to consume that through the fire and refine you as gold. God's in control. Tell yourself that. Account for that in your trial. Today, this week, remind yourself God's in control. God's got a purpose. God's way is best. And lastly, it will be worth it. Faith says it will be worth it. Rejoice in your sufferings because in the proper time, you and I will see that the testing of difficult children, the testing that you're facing will be worth it. So hope in God. In verse 12 of James 1, we're going to get there in several weeks. James is going to say, Oh, the blessedness of the man or woman who remains steadfast in their trials. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love Him. Oh, that we would consider it joy. Know that God works all these things for us. What is our only comfort in life and death? We belong body and soul to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He has set us free from all our sins. Indeed, Without my heavenly father, not a hair from, can fall from my head apart from his will. Indeed, all things must work from my salvation, my maturity. He's doing all these things. Discipline seems painful. Trial seems fa- painful for a season. But later, it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, even though I walk through the valleys of death Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Oh, if you're here, and I want to remind you, James began my brothers, my family. Are you part of the family of God? Have you born anew by him? You're not born into this world that way, but you're born again that way. You become part of it by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ through faith, surrendering fully to him. These promises are for you if you're part of his family and you can become part of his family by looking to Christ today. Believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved. I want to end with this story. The late Andrew Murray, he was a missionary and preacher, great speaker, wrote a lot of books. Maybe you've read some by him. One night while staying in someone's home in London, he was a house guest there. He had gone through some great criticism. He had just poured his heart out at a sermon with a sermon, and someone wrote him a letter and basically was attacking him, saying he was a heretic. He was discouraged by that a little bit. Then he just lifted up that to the Lord, and God encouraged him. He was with a, a gathering, but he was in so much pain. He said, I need to retire to my room. He was in agony a few years back. His cart tumbled over. This is the 1800s, and he had a serious back structural injury. He was in chronic pain, and this time it was his bad as you could get. He was in agony. So while he was there suffering through the night, can't, can't sleep. I know some of you've been there. He wrote on a piece of paper to remind himself of the truth, to take an account of God and his ways, to strengthen his faith in the Lord. Shortly thereafter, actually in the morning, the maid came up to his room and brought him breakfast and said, sir, there is, there is a, a visitor that you have. A poor lady who has stopped by and is overwhelmed with some grief. and She wishes to talk with you and get some comfort and some counsel. With little strength to talk, he handed her the sheet of paper that he had written that night for his own comfort and passed it on to the lady and said, Here, give her this. These were the words that he shared. In times of trouble, say, First, he brought me here. It is by his will I am in this straight place. In that fact, I will rest. Next, he will keep me here in his love and give me grace to behave as his child. Then, number three, he will make the trial a blessing, teaching me the lessons he intends me to learn and working in me the grace he means to bestow. Last, In his good time, he can bring me out again. How and when, he knows. Let me say, I am here, one, by God's appointment, two, in his keeping, three, under his training, and four, for his time. So count it pure joy, pure joy. Hold fast to God. In faith, don't let go because he's bringing you joy. Father, I pray that you would please help us as a people to be able to say it was good that I've been afflicted because now I keep your word or because I grew. Oh God, I do pray that if there's anyone in here that needs to be brought in to relationship with you for the first time, you'd save them. God, for those that have them, I pray that we would all grow in maturity. I pray that we'd repent of our weakness and where we have been revealed our lack of faith. Oh, God, I pray that we would say, I believe, help my unbelief. Oh, God, please grow us through affliction. At the same time, Father, I pray that you would be with those that are in this room that are going through such, such an agonizing season. That you would take it away from them as soon as you deem best. But in the meantime, would you just give them such an amazing comfort of your presence. That they would rejoice and count it joy. In Jesus' name, amen.